Hey guys, what's up? It's Jimmy. Uh, I am rebroadcasting this podcast with uh, a friend, a coach, a great mentor of mine, Larry Yach. He is going to be the keynote speaker this week at Rise Up Live. So for those of you attending Rise Up Live, I will definitely send you guys this link so you guys can get familiar with Larry as we go into the weekend. And for all of you not attending, we are missing you. But this is was one of my most favorite uh, how do I say? This is one of my most favorite interviews I've ever done on this podcast. So uh, check it out. And for those of you going to Rise Up Live, can't wait to see you this week. For those of you who are not, hopefully you can catch us next year. Talk to you later. Welcome to the Rise Up Live Free Podcast, where we're going to be giving you the exact blueprint to reach financial freedom in 10 years or less, regardless of your age, your income, or your experience. You see, we believe that 97% of traditional financial advice is dangerous, misleading, or outright wrong. And we're here to empower you on how you can use money and cash flow as a tool to create, build, and live a life you love now rather than having to wait until you're 65. If you're ready to take immediate action, join us over at cashflowtactics.com forward slash podcast. Hey, welcome back. Rise up, live free listeners. This, this episode, this one is going to be a special one. I've been looking forward to this one for a super, super long time. So our guest today is Larry Yach. He's a great friend of mine. He's a great business mentor of mine, great mentor in general. Uh, he's been training me and my team for about a year now. So Larry is the owner of Steel Team Leaders. Larry, welcome to the podcast. Jimmy, it's awesome to be here. I've been looking forward to this as well. We're going to have some fun. Yeah, this is going to be a phenomenal conversation. I'm just going to warn you guys, this might go Joe Rogan style, like, Three hours, I doubt it. Generally, we do 45-minute podcast. But so Larry, uh, the reason for the podcast is Larry, if you're watching the video, Larry just put a, out a book called How Leadership Actually Works. And like, I am geeking out on this book. My whole team's geeking out on this book. Like, And I, here's the one thing about this book, Larry. This book is incredibly dense. So we, are, we already talked before the show. We're going to hit a few key points. But if you guys are interested in leadership, quite frankly, this is the best leadership book I've ever, ever listened to. And if you guys listen to podcasts uh, a lot, you know we I read a lot. So, Larry, kind of introduce yourself to the audience. I know your background. I know your story. If you could kind of introduce yourself. Yeah, so I mean, our backgrounds aren't all that dissimilar. Uh, instead of West Point, I went to the Naval Academy about the same time as you. And then from there, went straight into the SEAL program. So spent 10 years operating as a SEAL from 98 to 2008 uh, in the mi Middle East and Southeast Asia. So really busy uh, with SEAL Team 3 and then Group 1 and uh, Special Activities 1. So had an awesome career there, got injured and medically retired in 2008 and started an entrepreneurial journey at that point. So a built and run this at this in counting, I guess, four companies at this point, four different com companies. Uh, our focus on all of them has always been training, uh, behavior change. So being able to work with different groups or individuals to, to in improve or optimize their performance, either in specific domains or 
Uh, our last focus for the last 10 years has been on coordination of action within companies, uh, generally mid-sized to large companies. Uh, that's what we've been doing for the last 10 years. So that is one of the, so you just mentioned two phenomenal paradigm shifting changes for me, behavior change and coordination of action. Let's start with coordination of action because that is one of my favorite Larry SEAL team leaders <laughs> concepts. Can, can we talk about exactly, what do you mean by coordination of action? So uh, I'll talk about this on two levels. On the first level, the the only reason that we as human beings were insufficient to survive on this planet alone. So that's a basic, like without others, we're going to die. On top of that, I believe that our ultimate success in life is dependent on how well we coordinate action with others, how well we team, right? If you team well, you have unlimited success. If you don't team well, then you suffer and die alone. So fundamentally, I believe coordination of action is what drives success as a human. You know, that's the most direct tie I can produce to it. Uh, that's one side of it. The other side of it is we believe that every structurally sound company, and what I mean by structurally sound is you have lead gen and marketing, you have sales, you have fulfillment, you have support, right? You have those four main components of business. You have that in your company. Uh, you have a product that people pay for and you can deliver, right? That's structurally sound. In every structurally sound company, they're missing a C-level position that we refer to as a coordination of action officer. Uh, every problem that we've ever fixed in every company is a failure to coordinate action, either between your team and clients, inter-team, intra-team, or between the team and management. And so a coordination of action officer's role is to be responsible for all coordination of action among those four domains. So those are kind of the two big pieces. And so like so I, an example of a great team coordinating action would be like a SEAL team clearing a room or right. assaulting an objection, or obje objective. Yeah, and I would argue, you know, take any of the top tier, tier military units they are high functioning teams. How do we like primary distinction for a high functioning team is a team that makes big commitments and consistency consistently holds them. So an individual or a team is high functioning when they can make big promises and they always hold their promises. If you look at SEAL teams, Rangers, they make commitments based in their the objectives that they accept and very rarely do they fail in meeting those objectives. Uh, most organizations are shit at that, right? Where they make, you know, and look at it. Most organizations are crap at it. Most people within the organizations are even worse, right? Like you and I have been running companies for a while. If someone does 80% of what they're supposed to half of the time, they're a high performer. Like that's pathetic, but that's the standard in business. And so most people are low functioning. Most organizations are low functioning. And then the, the problem with being low functioning is it's just like going to work is so frustrating. <laughs> like on both sides, right? Both the management side and on the employment side or the team side. Like I've led low functioning teams and not been able to do anything about it. And like, I could see the frustration on my team members face. I could then be frustrated at myself because I'm like, why can't I, you know, why can't I, no one wants to own a business, 
or be part of an organization where coming to work sucks, right? <laughs> yeah, and think about like we have the additional, I would say it's like a gift and a curse. Like I know what it is to be on a high functioning team. Like I know what it is to look at one of my guys, ask them to make a commitment to meet a standard performance. They say yes. And to have no concern, they're going to do it right? like on a regular basis. Like my, I can count on one hand, the number of times that a seal made a commitment to me and didn't do it. Right. Like that's a blessing because it's amazing to have that experience. It's a curse because it's like, well, why doesn't everyone else act like that? Like you're right. It is a problem because like, you know, you, you've been to the mountain, you know, it exists. And I, I could say like my first few years as a civilian, like I was just hell on wheels because of that. Because oh, I, mean, I, was I was horrible. So, yeah. I was so frustrated. I knew it existed, but then when somebody couldn't uphold that standard, it, I would go nuts. I, I remember like the number of people I've made cry with no understanding of why they're crying. Like, I'm just asking you to explain why you didn't do what you said you were going to do. And you're crying. I should be crying. Right. Like, yeah. I don't get it. And I remember where, when my mind got blown, my first company, uh, I had, I was having a one-on-one -on -one with one of my key guys and we're talking about like, what do you need from me? Right. For you to kind of, you know, perform at a higher level. He's like, well, I need you to come in at least two or three times a week and tell me I'm doing a good job. And I was like, first off, that was, kind of like i don't understand but then this is where it blew my mind it's like well does it matter if you're doing a good job or not he's like no no it doesn't matter if i'm doing a good job you need to do it so maybe i can do a good job and i just my head blew up and i wanted to hit him like which is not a good thing i don't think but like i couldn't you got to be kidding me you mean and i had to put it in my calendar like every tuesday and thursday i go in and tell him hey bo you're doing a great job regardless of if he was or wasn't just to set a baseline of he could feel okay to maybe do a good job. And so, well, I mean, that guy right there, what was going on there? Like who, who was right? Who was wrong? So I was wrong in that I made an assumption that everyone saw the world like I did based on the fact that when I was a seal, everyone saw the world like I did. And then do and you so believe the it's my responsibility? Yeah, just like should the whole world see the world like you do? Or no. It's it's impossible. If we did, we'd have no problems. Or we'd have a whole bunch of fighting. I don't know. It's one or the other. Right. But either way, like it, it is it is irresponsible of me to put my experiences on others. Like in the same respect, uh, I was partnered with my uh my former wife for a long time, right? And I remember when we first got started. We were working like it was one of those times where it was like 14 hours, 16 hours a day for weeks to get this project done. And she was really bothered, like hurt by like this much work. And she started to complain about it. And I looked at her I'm like, what are you talking about? We got a roof. No one's there's no mortars coming in. No one's trying to kill us. We got food. What are you complaining about? Like only 14, 16 hour days and no money. Like, come on. And that's when it dawned on me, like, oh, it's not, she's never been mortared before. Like, it's not fair for me to expect her to see the world through my eyes because she hasn't had my experiences. And it took me probably five or six years to recognize that, hey, like, by me expecting everybody to see 
the world in a post-combat manner. It really, at the end of the day, just made me a dick. Yeah. And made me disconnected from anyone that I work with or love. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work for us. It doesn't work for them. And it doesn't produce results. And so, yeah, I couldn't articulate at the time, but it's just like, I don't feel like no one's giving me the award of combat veteran best view on the world every day. Like, and I, I, I was like, I went and fought for my country, for my, for people I loved, and then I'm going to come home and be disconnected to them. Like, that's stupid. Like, stop being a dick. Yeah, the whole reason that we went and fought was to be able to create a world where entrepreneurs can be successful. And then we go ahead and get into entrepreneurship and don't produce success because we're living in war. And then, yeah, and holding ourselves to like, and then I, here's the other thing. The older I get, the more idealistic that time becomes and the more nostalgic I am and the bigger badass I was, the farther, <laughs> the farther and farther away I get from that time. Yeah, which is ultimately not true. If, like we actually went back and looked, I'm with you. And yeah. we forget about how miserable that job was. Yeah, like, it was by, a miserable by, job. By the time I have grandkids, like I will be, ram- in my mind, I will be Rambo to this <laughs> <laughs> well, we can sit on the porch together and be Rambo together. I'm, I'm with you. And so, but like this, like when we first started working together, coordination of action blew my mind because it also was like going back to like, there's no award if you get to, there's no award for being right. And there's no award for being pounding your chest and saying, I can eat the most shit. There's yeah. a reward for coordinating action with people and being an effective and having an effective team. And we, I believe that our most, I believe it's our really our only, the only true asset that we own as a human. I believe this is one, our only true asset and two, our most limited asset. And it's our focus and our attention, right? Most people will say it's time. Time doesn't exist. Time is made up so the humans can coordinate action. Via focus and attention, I can turn, I can stretch a second into an hour and I can turn two weeks into two minutes, right? Like my focus and attention is the only thing I truly own. And it's the only thing, the thing that is the most limited asset. So my focus and attention also determines what exists in my world. Right. Whatever I'm paying attention to exists in my conscious world. My conscious world is my my reality, my perception. So if my focus and attention is who can eat more shit, like who can suffer the most, the only thing I will have in my life is suffering. Like this is impossible not to. And so just what you were saying of shifting that focus from suffering to connection is going to change your experience on a daily basis. And we already determined at the beginning of the conversation that my success is determined upon how connected I am, right? If I'm really connected, I have a great team. I can produce more than if I'm disconnected and alone. So if I focus on suffering, I will never have a good team. I will only have suffering and I'll never produce success. Essentially a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, if all you do is pay attention to, to how to suffer, and if you connect suffering to success, you're fucked. Like, you're screwed. And if we, I love this. Like, I love doing this in front of a big room of entrepreneurs. 
So we got a whole lit bunch of listeners. Play along with me for a second if you're listening to this. Okay. Think about if tomorrow everything you built was gone, just poof, it's all gone. You're you're down in the basement again. And now if if I ask you what would you do, the same thing's going into each one of your minds. Like, I just build it all over again. I'm gonna build it bigger and better now because I got more experience. And if anything, most of you feel a little bit of excitement. Like as soon as I said that, you got a little burst of energy. Now, okay, if I like, have you there's a challenge coming. Oh, totally. Yeah. Now, if I have you think about this, what if tomorrow I wave a magic wand and everything you've ever wanted you have, and it came with no effort, it just eased, it was just there. Now, if you check in, most of you are feeling a little bit of panic. Well, I, I mean, you know, I wouldn't value it because I didn't have to earn it. Yeah, not only wouldn't you value it, you think it's all gonna go away, right? It's all gonna be, dis it's all gonna disappear. You don't earn, you didn't earn it. It's not yours, right? It's all these negative emotions. And so we know that if we lost everything, we get excited. And if we get everything we ever want, we get scared. So what, what are we going to get? All we're going to get is a roller coaster of building stuff and then get, you know, destroying it, building stuff, destroying it. And every time we'll get a little higher, we'll go a little lower, but it doesn't need to be that way. We could have everything we wanted and it could be easy if we focus on that. If you want to focus on things being miserable and suffering, that's what you're going to get. And so I, I got two questions to you from that. One, the first time you've ever said that to me, my first reaction was bullshit. Oh, yeah. I remember. Like pissed. Yeah. Like, like, it's it like has a to be favorite boy. <laughs> and so what is the consequence of that fundamental belief that it has to be hard for you to, for you to get what you want? Like what's the casual? It is you will live in suffering and struggle. Like, that's it. Like you will get exactly what you want. And then it's funny because we're like, you know, bring, I don't know if we can bring this up or not, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, like we're getting to that point to you where everything you want is here and it's relatively easy and you're feeling panicked. Like we just talked about that today, right? You're yeah. like, shit, I don't know what to do with myself. My business is running better than it's ever run. It's running with less of me than it's ever needed to. And I feel kind of anxiety all day. And then now that I'm thinking about it, cause I'll go talk to Susie about this. I'll be like, yeah. Hey, cause like, dude, I've been dropping the kids off at practice at like five 30. Yeah. And Susie's like not used to this. And then I'll be like, hey, I'm afraid it's all gonna explode if I drive Tommy to practice. Yeah. And you know, you know, we've discovered through SEAL Team Leader, Susie's job is to manage how I think. <laughs> and feel. <laughs> yeah. And she'll just be like, shut up, don't be stupid. <laughs> and, so that helps. But then dude, legitimately, what I'm doing to calm myself down is recognize the connection I now have with my team members. And like, yeah. I don't like it. I love it. I crave it. Yeah. And so, and that, let's so that connection, right. And that's where I go back to our success in life is a hundred percent dependent on how well we coordinate action with others. And that success comes both in daily experience, how you feel like you're talking about, you love it and the results. Now look at that from one perspective, you just said like, I, 
I'm getting out of my business what I want, right? That ability to connect, lead, manage people, elevate them, right? You're getting that, that feeling side of it. What about the results side? Are the results good, better or worse? Better. Better. So the results come from the focus on the right thing, right? You used to focus nothing but performance, right? Nothing but performance and numbers, which drove, you know, your business did better than most. But until we switched your focus from that to the connection, you couldn't grow the the numbers very much anymore. Well, and I would argue in in Larry language, I was all focused on achievement. Yeah. And quite frankly, I was willing to burn anything down for it too. Yourself, your relationships, your team, did they make a difference? Yeah, like Susie and the kids, like I could only relax in front of them if I felt like I was achieving. Yeah. And that was the other trap you build with that is the achievement is always a false peak, right? Like you get to that, that achievement. It's like, Oh no, the mountain's there. You get to that one false peak. Oh, the the mountain's there. So you're constantly going, you can never actually feel like you achieved it because you always move the goal line. So you get to produce constant. So then you can't, can't be relaxed and connected around Susie and the team, the kids, because you can't fulfill your need for accomplishment because you constantly move the goal line, which will produce a life of suffering. Exactly what you know is the only path to success. So there you go. And then what percentage? So the, I would assume most listeners of, to this podcast are highly functioning individuals, highly driven, like they're very successful in life. And we talk about this all the time that we don't celebrate our wins enough. We don't enjoy what we actually achieve. It's like achievement, take a breath, and then what's next? And yeah. where and the greatest thing you ever taught me is the that's great to always keep hitting things, but there's a difference between achievement and success, and there's a fine line you can cross where it becomes, I'm trying to, it's definitely negative, where you can lose everything in chasing achievement. Can we kind of dig into that a little bit? Oh, totally. So achievement or success, first thing we have to do is define them, right? We got to make them distinct from each other, right? So to me, accomplishment or achievement is setting a goal or objective and fulfilling it. Now, most people, and I've done this a bunch, if I was to ask you what is success, they would define it in that term, setting a goal or objective and achieving it. Right. So we have been taught our entire lives to connect success with achievement or accomplishment. Fair. So whether it's, you know, in your life, it was a trident and mine, it was a ranger tab. And then, then, you know, first mountain was just starting a business. And then I, then it wasn't good enough because it wasn't, my business wasn't as profitable as my friend's business. Right then you hit a certain level of profitability, but then you get a new friend who has a higher profit margin, which means now your business sucks again. <laughs> the We've been conditioned since we were in school because our education system was built on in the industrial revolution to create factory workers. And factory workers need a clear goal or objective to achieve, and they need to get a small treat every time they achieve it. They, that keeps them trapped into being factory workers, which is what we need for factories to run. That's no longer the way the world works, 
right? So yeah. from the, We're in the first information age now, not yeah. the industrial age. Nope, it, it's it, it's information, and it's not even information. It's the ability to to adapt information into value. Like if I was to say, really, what are we? How do you produce success in today's world? Take information which is now free and adapt it to produce value for someone else. Like, how do I take that information, implement it, adapt it, and produce value for someone else? You do that, you make a shit ton of money. So our school system hasn't caught up, right? Your, your school system, from the first day you came in, do your homework, get a good grade, get enough good grades, graduate to the top of your class, get into the next school, the next job, the next promotion. That will That is based on that foundation that success equals achievement. Now, if you tie success to achievement, you will produce achievements, but never experience success. Like it is the trap. Like you will get one, but at the expense of the other. And, and I, that's where I, we get. And then I, from my own personal experience, what piles on is you pile on achievements, but then you got this monkey on your back frustration because like, it's still not enough. And it won't be. And that's where the ultimate loss is. Like I've worked with now three, four billionaires, four billionaires, you know, big B billionaires. Uh, and all of them are miserable. Like I wouldn't trade my life for theirs in a minute because imagine being in the place where you have all the money, you, your kids, your grandkids, your grandkids, kids could ever need. You have bought everything you could ever buy. You've experienced everything you could ever experience. You have the opportunity to build, run, manage any business you could ever want to build, run, or manage with all the resources you want, and you still don't feel fulfilled. That would be, that's hell. Like, literally, there is nothing you can do. Like, you've done everything, and you will not, you don't feel fulfilled because at a certain point, they went down the road of following achievement. And once you've achieved everything you can achieve and you still don't feel fulfilled, you're in hell like it's miserable and that's the that's the end of that road like that's the worst when you're asking like what's the cost or the casualty the cost or the casualty is an impossibility of feeling fulfilled because fulfillment has to come from an internal internally derived purpose not an externally given goal and every achievement you've ever had comes from the outside of you Therefore, when you get it, you don't feel fulfilled. And if you can't buy fulfillment when you have a billion dollars, you're miserable. Like I, I'm only just imagining the frustration level that must produce. Yeah. So then how would you define fulfillment? So fulfillment to me is any time that I am living in inside of my purpose. A purpose is that which comes from inside of me that drives me to a specific end. And then, so for the audience, like, this is what I love about Larry. He is the, he is a wordsmith. Like, he never speaks unclearly. And I'm delaying a little bit because I am rewriting, writing this stuff down. And because what I see, what I see around the world with high achievers is that, you got a bunch of people running around for achievement, believing that that 
that at the end of the rainbow, let's say at, you are a billionaire, that you will have that fulfillment. And that feeling of success. Yeah. Yeah, I so mean, to be, like, I think of Mark, one of my close friends, sold his company for $1.12 billion. And it, what was amazing about that sale is he, he only sold the things he didn't think was valuable in the company. He kept everything that he thought was valuable. So he sold his all the like unvaluable resources of $1 billion and kept everything that he thought was valuable. This poor guy like doesn't to look at this guy and see that he doesn't, if you were asking him, are you successful? He would say no without hesitation. Why? Because he doesn't feel fulfilled because he's been making years. Uh, it sucks. Uh, you broke up on that one. What is I said because because he's been stuck in achievement for 50 years. And in doing that, he doesn't feel fulfilled. And his life is still full of frustration, uh, lack of fulfillment. Um, why trying to find something that's going to fill the hole and it doesn't get filled. And that's where I feel like. I feel sad by seeing this because if there's anyone that deserves it, he deserves it. And but so it's like, lacking, but he's lacking some type of purpose. Not only that, but he's focusing on the wrong thing, right? We talked about success versus achievement or accomplishment. We made him distinct by, well, we haven't made him distinct yet. We said, well, what is accomplishment or achievement? Setting a goal or objective and achieving it, right? Fulfilling it. What is success, right? Most people say that accomplishment equals success. And I say, that's the trap. If you do that, you are trapped to never experience success, but to produce a bunch of accomplishments. That for me, success is an experience of a human, right? Like a business cannot be successful. Right, let me be very clear with my words. A business cannot experience success. A, only a human can experience success. To me, success is an optimized daily experience that's sustainable over time. And so, because the first time you told me about achievement versus success, I was like, well, okay, Larry, I'm just going to be a hippie. I'm going to wear sandals all day and I'm going to meditate 18 hours a day. And like, so why doesn't that work? Is that sustainable? First, isn't it sustainable? Probably not. So if you could do that and have it be sustainable, that's, that might be success for you. Here's another piece to it, though. You have, you have obligations that you have taken on fully and knowingly and completely. Obligations of your wife, obligations of your kids, obligations of, of your team, right? Like you have accepted those obligations saying they're mine now. Right. I'm going to take care of these things. Could you have an optimized daily experience if your team, your wife and your kids were miserable? No, no. Right. So in order for you to have an optimized daily experience, they have to be taken care of, which means some accomplishments are going to be around. So the, the far like crazy, I'm going to call it hippie stuff. They were like, you don't need to achieve anything. That's, that's not correct either. That's on the other extreme. It, it depends, right? So say you have an individual 
that has produced enough value in the world to have, say, a million dollars or two million dollars in the bank. They have no they have not accepted any obligations for other humans like team or kids or wife. And they want to live in Bali surfing every day on 20 grand a year. Is that an optimized daily experience for them, right? They read in the morning and meditate, work out, surf, you know, go to the club and dance pretty girls at night. They have the money to do it. And they can do that for the next 50 years of their life. When they leave, maybe they might have some cash left or not capital left. It doesn't really matter because they have no yeah. obligation to fulfill on. They're, they're growing individually, mentally, emotionally, in their meditation and study. That's their optimized daily experience is sustainable over time. I'd say that person's successful. Okay. Right. So it can be right. Is would that be success for me? No, because I've accepted obligations of, of people I care about my family, my kids and my team. And I want to bring some big things into the world. Right. So like I've, I've accepted that obligation. And so within that piece, so that's not going to be my optimized daily experience. You know, is there going to be some surfing in my future? Yeah, like for sure, but not that, right? So right. each person's individual optimized daily experience that is sustainable over time is different and will have different degrees of accomplishment associated with it. But the, the key piece here is where is my focus and my attention? Is my focus and attention on producing an accomplishment hoping for success or is my folks focus and attention put on producing that optimized daily experience that is sustainable over time, which is an experience and knowing accomplishments will follow. All right. I'm going to break it down. It, because I did it like the 20th time I've heard this, but I still have to break it down. Okay. So for the audience out there, you got your most valuable thing is not your houses. It's not your assets. Your mo it's not even, a lot of people say their most valuable thing is time. And yep. a lot of our audience, when they come to us, they say they just want more, more time to travel with friends and family. And so you're coming in and saying that's partly correct, but you're, what is correct is what's most valuable to you is your focus and attention. Yes, my focus determines where my attention is. It's one and the same thing. And so if you're focused on achievement, you risk not being fulfilled. Because you could get lucky and hit all your achievements and they line up with fulfillment. I have never seen that occur. Based, but, you, you're a perfect example, right? I yeah. could maybe. I've never seen it occur. possible, but not likely. Yep. But now, I've so never seen it. And, but if you because focus, this is why this is why those those achievements are always dictated by something outside of me, which precludes me from being fulfilled. That's where the, it's like the trap, right? Money, house. I want a hundred houses. I want a thousand houses. I want money. I want a trip. I want that. Almost always comes from outside of the individual. And so as soon as it comes from outside of me, even when I achieve it, I feel good about it, but I'm not going to feel fulfilled. And so you're using your most valuable time, which is focus. And if you shift your paradigm to focus on fulfillment, 
which is internal, that gives you the best chance. I would, does it guarantee you'll have an optimized daily experience or does it give you the best chance? No. So your, your focus and attention has to go toward, not to towards fulfillment. Fulfillment's a byproduct of it. It has to go to producing for first understanding what is an optimized daily experience for you, right? Getting that. And, and the optimized daily, the key word is optimized daily experience, right? Like, what is the experience? This is what goes into one of the other things you want to talk about, desired end state. And experience is what I feel on a regular basis, what I don't feel. So what I got to focus on, because I used to focus on what I thought was an optimized daily experience was like, well, I want to ride my mountain bike and I want to do this, that, or the other thing. But the reality is I want to ride my mountain bike because it makes me feel a certain way. I want to go to, to my son's jujitsu practice because I want to feel a certain way. Right. So focusing on what I want to feel on a regular basis, what I want to avoid on a regular basis is what's eventually going to produce that optimized daily experience where it gets structural is sustainable over time. Like I want to feel relaxed, happy, fulfilled, whatever, fill in the blanks. How do I do that on a sustainable with sustainability? Right. That's where I start to have to get pretty tactical. Like that's going to require certain assets. That's going to require certain structs, calendar structures. That's going to require certain people helping me. It's going to require certain people being out of my life. Right. So that's where all of those like tactical things start to go into what is often, I don't know, it's like, it seems like a second thought, right? Optimized daily experience, but really the biggest part is sustainable over time. And then here's, so I'm kind of realizing this as we're talking through it, but you're going to have to, to sustain it over time, you are going to have to have achievements. That's it. That's why it's magic. You focus so on it, one, you get one and don't get the other. You focus on the other, you get both. But so achievements are a means to an end, not the end of themselves. Yeah. Any, think of it there. I would use this. Achievements are, by, are byproducts. Achievements, accomplishments are byproducts of living the your right life, <laughs> right? Your right life is whatever is an optimized daily experience is sustainable over time for you. Now, what I hate about this, what I'm just kind of listening to what we're saying, and I want to make sure people don't get this impression. Like I've heard so many, like what I'll just say is bullshit stuff of like live your best life. And if you just live your best life, everything's going to be good. And, and then I'll ask the, the person, like, what's a, what does it mean to live your best life? And it's like, it's your best life. I don't want it to come across that we're, we're creating the same thing because it isn't. Like, what we're talking about gets very specific. Like, and that's where part, like you said, density in the book, like, read the book. Like, if you want to know, well, how do I produce an optimized daily experience sustainable over time? There's a formula for that. How do I determine what I want to feel on a regular basis, what I want to avoid, a desired end state? I have a formula for that, right? If I need more connection in my life to feel that optimized daily experience, I have a for we, we have a formula for that. So I don't want an impression that we're just using these concepts like purpose and, and fulfillment as, as these like platitudes or words that people say that don't get shit done. No, we can, we, we want to program this like, for me, it's an engineering project. Well, and then that's because that's what frustrates me with the self-help space and a lot me of leadership too. space, like the big hat, the bee hat, yeah. their big, hairy, big, audacious, audacious goal. And then 
you're the owner of the business. You got to be the visionary. It's very loose language and non-specific, and it's. I think it keeps people spinning their wheels or and BSing themselves. I agree, and that's why. So let me get practical, just because I felt like you've got the background of experience of reading more of the depth of the book, so that we can talk about this, and you know, it, this is not this is not soft. So. I want to give well, the let audience. Me, let me back up one second. Because yeah. when you first said that success is a feeling, that success is a feeling, right? Yeah. I was like, this guy is full of crap. Like, I hate you, Larry. Like, you're <laughs> supposed to be a SEAL. Like, we're supposed to have cigarettes put out on us. Like, that's a special <laughs> gift that we have that we no longer have to feel. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I still have scars in my arms from cigarettes being put out on me. So, yeah, I... I I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's that's why I love like I, I like love and hate it. I love some I love what's coming out of my mouth now in this this phase of my life because it is life changing for me and for those those that we I work with and that we talk to and you know read stuff in the book. And I hate it because I'm like I can't believe I just said that. Like, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. My, you know, 20 years ago, that, that guy would want to beat this guy up until this guy talked to him about the structure of doing it, and then they'd be best friends. Well, and then here's how I got over the whole, like, oh, yes, you have to feel. Like, yeah. part of it's like, <laughs> part of it's like, you know, enlightenment thinking, new age thinking, like your feelings shouldn't matter. It's all reason and logic, but then, then you have no meaning. Then you have no purpose. So that's kind of boring. And then I... In combat, I do think it serves people to be able to detach from their feelings. So I, I, it was to me, I call it being a god of war. So to me, being a god of war is that there is a complete disconnection between my brain and my emotions and my brain and my body, right? So that yeah. I don't feel what's happening to my body and I don't feel any emotions at all. All I do is have what's what I sense and then the decisions I make within what I sense like that. It, it takes this massive psycho, uh, psychological break from the emotions and the physical side in order to perform at the level necessary in the worst combat, especially leading in the worst combat. Right. It's a necessary to do that. Uh, and that also guarantees that you will not be able to experience any success in life right like that <laughs> Wait, back, that's hilarious back up like what you just said was so this because here's the way i've come to peace with it like there was a time where it was a means to an end being yes. able to detach from your feelings kept you alive yeah and but your body now, right like yeah. I'll, I'll, you you i mean how many times were you bleeding and you're like oh shit i didn't even know uh all the time <laughs> it's like oh i'm sore now once the adrenaline's off yeah but so it was a means it was good then because it was a means to an end yes but once you're not in those situations any longer it's prohibit that's just very interesting it's prohibiting you from staying alive it's for what kept you alive is now keeping you from fully being alive fully living and you know, what I said was that that mentality makes it so you can never experience success based on the fact that we have now identified. Now, that mentality will produce someone that 
that creates a lot of accomplishments. Like, you know, we took that combat mentality, that God of War mentality and produced a bunch of accomplishments. Anyone will point to and say, we're cool, but we but didn't you get also stayed, you also stayed alive. Oh yeah, totally. Now, now that we've identified that accomplishments are different than success, success is a feeling. And if you can't experience any feelings, then you can't experience success, right? If I would have asked you straight out of the Rangers, like, Hey, what's an optimized daily experience? You would have looked at me like I was insane. Like I, I don't even. Yeah, I would have said to you like I'm supposed to enjoy my daily experience. Like my daily experience should suck, and then yeah. I'll be a badass. Yeah, exactly. I'll get the award for who can eat the most shit. That that's so in that world, right? Where I, I would even I remember it. It's taken me 14 plus years to get to the point of when someone asked me, "Hey, what do you want?" Like, how, what do you want in your life? I can tell them now. Like, I'll tell them this is what I want. This is how I want to feel. And this is what I don't want to feel like. Up until just a couple of years ago, someone would ask, like, well, what do you want to do? What, what do you want your life to be like? I look at them like, I have, I get to pick? Like, I get to decide? <laughs> it doesn't have to. But that that's the amazing thing, Larry. Like, when someone comes in cash flow tactics, the first thing we ask yeah. them is, what do you want? And quite frankly, 95% of People who are asset cannot answer that. No. And at best, they, at best, they'll say freedom. Like, I'd want some freedom. You're like, oh, what's freedom? Man? Uh, more time with, with people I care about? Like, okay. And what? Where you're disconnected, where you're working, where you're stressed, or where you're happy, fulfilled? What 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 is like complete blank? Which goes right back to the Industrial Revolution, our education system. If people actually were taught in school, how to identify their desired end state, what they want to feel, what success looks like for them, what's in their life or what needs to be out of their life to do that. If they were actually taught that, then we wouldn't be able to control them at all. Like we'd have no control over them. So we can't do that. Or we'd have a bunch of people that could think for themselves and make a good life. We well, have a bunch of sovereign individuals. Yep. Can't have yep. that. You ever read that book? No. You might like that. So it, the guy's thesis is this, and it was written like 15, 20 years ago. But for the industrial age, we had to do, we had to have that German style Bismarckian educational system. Yep. And the interesting thing is capitalists like Rockefeller and Carnegie, they had to play nice with the government because their capital resided on yep. the on the continental United States, right? The interesting thing about the information age is the high-level capitalists don't have any uh, geographical constrictions. Yeah, the, the government can't control their money. And with crypto, it's going to be, that's going to go away even more. And so their, these, their thesis is, like, we're kind of tangenting a little bit, but like, the in the Middle Ages, Middle Ages Europe, the capital all went to the to the, the lord or the, the king yeah. who was nicest to capital. And so what they, their thesis is, whoever is nicest to capital, that's where all the capital will flock to because it can go anywhere now. Yeah. And that, so then the, your goal needs to be to be a sovereign individual where you can then, uh, you know, where your capital and you can, uh, you know, do your best anywhere in, in the world. 
And then Dutch, he's saying what you're saying, that the education system and how we train children and train ourselves has to change. And what produced, what enabled you and me to produce success in the military was useful to a, to a limit. Well, and, I don't want to bag on that stuff. Like yeah. there was some foundational lessons that like, if I was, I would not have done it over any different. I would have just learned the lessons I've learned faster. <laughs> that I was going to say the same thing. I'm with you. I just wouldn't, I would have learned a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah. And had le I essentially less suffering. Yep. Okay. So that, I mean, that is, so, you know, <laughs> it took me about a year to get over it, but I agree with you. Success is a feeling. <laughs> and it, it, it scares me a little bit because it's so subjective. Yeah. Where achievements are kind of cool because they're very objective. Like I won this football game. I yep. got this rank. Like, how, do you ever feel tension between how subjective it is? Not at all. I think ultimately I was never, I'm not that competitive of a person in the, in a, in the traditional sense. Like I wasn't a team sports person. I didn't care about scores. I didn't play on teams. Uh, I didn't because I, I'm a, a kind of social outcast, right? I, I've said it before. I've, you know, I'm on the uh, autism spectrum when it comes to Asperger's, which makes it hard for me to connect to hu normal humans in a normal way, which made for a very hard early life because kids don't get that, especially in the late 70s, early 80s. And so I really got a massive disconnection from like, if someone liked what I was doing, it's probably not good because they're bad or mean or scary. Right. So yeah. I've never been that competitive. So like rank never mattered for me. Scores never mattered for me. Money never really mattered. It still doesn't really matter for me on a scoreboard type thing. So I think I'm just because of the autism, slightly different on that scale from the traditional kind of special operator guy. Gotcha. Cause I mean, that's what I would say I struggle with is that I like games, like, yeah. you know, some you can win. What? Yeah, and I something like. You can win. Yeah, something that's very. And so I'm trying to just think out loud, like, because I my fear is that if it's subjective, that I'm gonna that I'm getting screwed, that I'm getting that I'm not valuing it correctly. If that makes sense. What do you mean by getting you're gonna be get, get screwed? I'm gonna de. I'm gonna miss. So let's say my feeling of success is X. Yeah. But that feeling of success does not lead to, say, being able to pay for my kids' education. Doesn't put food on the table. Like it's a it's a weird out there fear, but that it that is the fear. And that's where, like, because the work that we did, we we did almost a year ago now. Like, that's just not true, right? So you're yeah. living absolute lie untruth right there is no world in which your kids don't eat ever no matter what happens right like based on the homework that you've done so far and so it goes back to that kind of question of well say my subjective super subjective optimized daily experience is not but there could be a what i'm hearing you say is like there could be a better one Right. Like I could be missing it. Maybe there's a better one. I didn't even know because I didn't push hard enough. 
And my whole thing is, wait, if you're already running in what you feel is an optimized daily experience, why do you give a shit if there could be one that's even more optimized? Like, it doesn't matter. But it's Other sustainable over time. Like, there, there, there's still that bumper. Is this sustainable over time? Exactly. And so let's say I, and I'm, I believe a lot of people in our community would probably have this anxiety where they feel like they're not working enough. So I'll I'll say like anytime that you have a feeling like that, ground it, like validate. Okay. How do we validate? Am I working enough or not? Right. Like you, you, that can't be an opinion. That should be something you can measure and see. And I would answer that on two questions. Like, could you work more? Yes. What are you giving up to work more? Is that going, is what you're giving up going to reduce your optimized daily experience or increase it? Right. Most people, if they work more, create less of an optimized daily experience. Right. So is that extra work you're going to do adding to your daily experience? Is it adding to its sustainability? If it's adding to its sustainability at the cost of the daily experience, then you got to find a different strategy because that's what we've been doing forever. We're making an argument that if I keep doing this, I'm going to be good for the next 50 years but I'm going to be miserable every day of the next 50 years. Well, what's the point, right? You're in the wrong strategy. Like you got to get both, right? How can every day be great for the next 50 years? And I'm still taking care of in 50 years. And so, but that's, would you say that's a constant dance that, you know, that's where you got to kind of wake up and evaluate. Oh, totally. And where am I doing, where am I putting too much attention towards sustainability Where am I not putting enough towards the daily experience? Where am I just servicing my old bullshit, right? Like that's the one I'm always having to fix, right? Like over and over I'm like, yeah, like I'm working less now than I've ever worked in my life. And I'm, I'm on the precipice of making the biggest moves I've ever made in my life. Right. And like the biggest accomplishments. And every day I feel like, like you, right. I feel scared. And I feel like I might, I feel guilty. Like, is someone going to find out that I went for a bike ride yesterday? Right. Like, and maybe I should have done something else. Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't write that email that I could have written yesterday. I didn't write it today. Like, shit, am I wrong? Or like every day I got to check in and be like, nope, that's the old stuff. I'm allowed to be joyful, fulfilled, happy. I'm allowed to have fun. I'm allowed to not work all the time. Like, but, so you wouldn't coach someone to expect that you're not going to have to still tangle and wrestle with your interior BS, right? Oh, no. I mean, it's shit, especially for those that are listening are probably higher functioning people. They're higher performers. Like we, we've got, we got a lot of old habits. That's what made us more successful than most that's what made us have more accomplishments than most other people. Right. So like, yeah, the more accomplishments you've had and the more work you put into producing those accomplishments, the more recovery you got. Okay. So we, I want to kind of move into desired end state and why it's so important. So we've established that success is a feeling and that that revolves around a daily optimized experience. That's sustainable over time. That's sustainable over time. And so my guess 
and the people you train, but my guess is if I were to ask 90% of the population what their desired end state is or what their daily sustainable experience, sustainable mm -hmm. over time is, they have no idea. And I'd say even more specifically, what they really don't know is they might know what accomplishments or what things they want in their life, but really success is a feeling. So the optimized daily experience is not about why well, I get up at 10 and I go for a jog and then I meditate. And then I, like, it's about what do I feel in doing all of these things. And so if you were to ask someone more specifically, like in your optimized daily experience, like everything is just today has gone amazingly well and you know, it's going to go well tomorrow and next week and next year. What are you feeling on a regular basis? They're going to look at you with an absolute blank slate, like no clue. What do you mean feel? Like that, and what drives us is feelings. Like Simon Sinek, start with why. Have you you've probably you've read his book and seen yeah. that twenty minutes talk he does? Yeah, right. Where he has the circuits of circles of why, what, how. Right. We usually get stuck on how we're going to get what we you know how we're going to feel good, what we're going to do to feel good, but we never really get to why we want to feel good or what what that's going to be like. Turning that around is critical, right? And that that ability of how to me are tactics and tactics change all the time. What are strategies? Strategies change less than tactics, but they still vary with the environment. Why is the purpose that drives the strategy that requires the tactics? The why doesn't change at all. To me, the why is always an emotion, right? It's what we want to feel, what we don't want to feel. If I want to move someone, moving them with a tactic requires a lot of control. Moving them with a strategy requires a lot of education. Moving them with purpose requires influence, but it, it's easy. And they, you keep them in the right direction the whole time. So leading through desired end states, through, through emotional states, the production of and the avoidance of is real effective and true leadership. So I, what you just said is kind of like the ant and the elephant. That if, if you want to lead somebody, you have to have some type of emotional connection and dig in. So when someone, if you want someone's performance at work to increase, you have to sh show that. Or you have to know, as a leader, you have to know their desired end state and make the connection for them. Uh, I don't have to. It's just going to be a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> it's just what you recommend. I'm just saying it's the it's the biggest bang for your buck. Like I can, I can control the shit out of someone. I can force them. I could go to work. I could just go to work like I did as a SEAL. And I mean, my greatest ability to influence my, my client as a SEAL was through a gun, right? Like my clients were terrorists. I used guns and explosives and I influenced them every day, right? Oftentimes permanently, right? So in that scenario, I'm using force to control their actions. I can do that at work all day long, right? I can force people to do whatever the hell I want to control right. their actions. Yeah, do I this or you're fired. Yeah. Pay yeah, I, or you're fired. I can yell at you, right? I could come in, yeah, I mean, you could be pretty damn scary, I imagine. You can yell at, yell at someone, make them cry, right? Scare the shit out of them, threaten them, take stuff away, fire them, right? There's all sorts of ways to control them through force. 
every time I control someone through force, I pay for that with connections. The connection they feel with me is, is, is the road. That's the, the currency of control. So every time, like every time you would yell at someone, like, sure, you can play that game. Like I've had leaders do it to me, like, but the cost of that is connection. And if you're not as connected, you will not be able to coordinate effort as well. And you won't produce success because we've, we established the first thing we established. Like if there's one fundamental principle that I want people to leave with this, if they just leave with the fact that my success in life is dependent on my coordination of action with others and my coordination of action with others is dependent on my connection with myself, with them and with things, everything greater than me. Right. Like that, that base formula, you, we could spend a week talking about that. But if they get that, right, like if I want to be successful, I need to coordinate action at a high level. If I need to coordinate action at a high level, I, I have to be connected internally to myself, to those things that are greater than me and to those around me. Right. If I do those three things, like that's that's the formula. So if I can if I am controlling you through force and I'm paying for that that control with connection. I'm ultimately degrading my ability to have success with you, which makes sense because success is an optimized daily experience. So if I'm making your life miserable and unless an optimized daily experience for me is yelling at you, my life's miserable. I'm not going to have success. I'm just laughing. I'm just laughing because I've worked and been and done this where it's like, it, it's also my will versus your will. Like yeah, I and that will win. Yeah. And because of rank, a lot of organizations, the leader will win if you're going to play the the will will game, right? And or suffering. Like where you and I have a big, like, I don't know, you and I going up against each other. I'm not sure we probably die before one or the other of us won a suffer contest. But there are, there are few people that can outsuffer me, right? And yeah. and you can't outsuffer me. You can't outwill me, and I'm yeah. going to win. But so here is the double challenge. I would argue most organizations have, and so here's the here's. I mean, this is why I would our SEAL team leaders. Here's your challenge, if, if you don't mind me saying. Make it for me. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so here's the deal. Took me a year to recognize my. The my day or desired end state, right? Yep. Then I had to like this was uncomfortable, dude. <laughs> then I had to get connected enough with my team members to find out. And dude, it was awkward conversations. It was like it was like an eighth grader, like the first time you went out on a date, right? Yeah. It was like, tell me about your daily optimized experience and yeah, your desired end state. Yeah, for those of you that aren't on the video, like he's having to look like look down because you'd have to read it. Like you'd have to read yeah. it. Tell me how you feel. It says that, right here, I'm supposed to ask you. <laughs> dude, the first time I tried it was so frustrating because that's what it felt like. Yeah. So I'm sure like that's, I mean, dude, it's not easy because you got disconnected people not knowing their own desired end state, then trying to lead and manage other disconnected people who don't know their desired end state. It's like, it's like a, a, a negative. Yeah. 
So how do we yeah. how do we fight that, Larry? How do we attack it? Like, well, I'd say one of the simplest, and I'm going to ask you for your experience. Like, even in those awkward conversations, like think back to one of those early awkward conversations. What was the end result? Poor connection. Even how, what did that feel like for the for for you and for them? What did it feel like? Yeah. Awkward. And I then mean, what? Awkward, but hey, I would hope that my team members like awkward but he cares enough to ask and can you see anything in their behavior to validate that assumption yeah it wasn't as awkward the second time i asked him. yeah and did they stick around did they did they start performing at a higher level were they Absolutely. willing to change yeah, right like so yeah. we can validate that even in that awkwardness one it continued two they performed better they showed up better right and there was easier conversations in the future. And that leads to where we are now, where you're like, where you're saying like leading through that connection, it just lights you up every day. Well, I work. just, you know, businesses can't experience success. A, a business is simply a lever. And so yep. it was shocking though. If you would have seen that my leadership team to look in their face, I'm like, Hey, use this business as a lever to get what you want. It yep. was shocking. Like they're like, huh? Because like a lot of team members are like shy to say, hey, I show up to work every day and want something. Yep. It's that piece, like, what is the I, I love this like simple concept. What is the purpose of a business? The only purpose of every business is to produce feelings of success in the clients, in the team, and in the owners. That's it. What is success? An optimized daily experience sustainable over time. If you have a business that produces feelings of an optimized daily experience sustainable over time for the clients, for the team, and for the owners, is that business going to produce accomplishments? Yes. You and, it's can't. Gonna be, and it's going to be fun. Yeah. Not everyone's going to have to be miserable. Yeah. Like I love, like people who bought like 15 houses from me, like I love being connected to them. Yeah. Like I love coordinating action with them. It's been fun. And so I, I would say, you know, this journey has made everything more fun. It's has it has it been optimizing your daily experience? Absolutely. And is it making it more sustainable? Absolutely. What, yeah, so I mean, we're we're producing success. I'm a little You're embarrassed. <laughs> and I'm a little embarrassed about this, but I'll share it with the audience anyway. So First time I was talking to Larry and uh, his right-hand man, Nick, they're like, Jimmy, why does your business exist? And I was like, make money. <laughs> and then they're like, well, what about your family? I'm like, I love them. Just here to make money. Like, you know, because I come from a grinding Irish family, kind of like yeah. you. I yeah. watched my dad. Like, I knew he loved me, but it was, hey, bro, I got to work. Yeah. Like, I love him for doing that. I wish he had SEAL team leaders. Like, but... And so my paradigm was profit first. Like I will, I will suffer like in the military if I have to get there. And then, oh, by the way, I expect my team to suffer as well, <laughs> or they're bad, or they're not badass. And then, oh, sure. And if clients have to suffer, whatever. Now, <laughs> you guys turned that and forced me to turn it on my head. And you're like, hey, Jimmy, you might want to consider team first. Customers next, your you know, profit third. 
And then it's the ultimate paradox because profitability has gone up since I went with that paradigm shift. Yeah, and there's more for everyone, right? Clients are making more money, teams making more money, you're making more money, and everyone feels a little better along the path. And they stop really paying. Now, what we're saying, like, there's equal, not, I would say equal, right? We put equal focus on value production or performance and on connection, coordination of action, right? Most companies just focus on, well, many companies don't focus on either. Right. Companies that do okay, focus on performance and value. That's it. When you start paying attention to connection and coordination with in, uh, the other eye on value and performance, you get that's now a machine running on all cylinders. I'll tell you the other thing that goes through my head, like for that daily sustainable experience, I have to be pursuing excellence, not achievement, but excellence. And like, so the way that translates into like property management is incredibly boring, right? And it, you know, but if we could, if we could tweak a system just like a little bit more to give a better sustainable experience to the tenant and the owner, like that excites me now. Yeah. But that's not achievement. No. It and it will produce achievements. Yeah. It will produce value and achievements, but Pursuing excellence is not achievement. No, that's a feeling, right? A feeling yeah. of excellence, a feeling of doing our best, of pushing our best further. Yeah, those are feelings. Those are, you know, we start getting into the desired end state, right? I want to, I want to produce an emotional state of of feeling like excellence, pushing my boundaries. Because another piece that I want people to hear is struggle and suffering are not the same as effort or work right because it, it's easy for us to put those together too because we've always tied well like work is always hard well no not necessarily like i can put out effort i can work hard yet not have it be suffering or uh effort like pain right we we always connect it to like oh every time you work hard it's got to suck yeah well maybe not right we just because we don't have this this suffering and this misery does not mean we're not putting out effort it's just the effort we're putting out is enjoyable it's it's adding to our experience not taking away from it yeah if you're a runner and you listen to this i would experience the closest to like a runner's high like if you're running a marathon like yeah, you got lactic acid burning through you, but you are having the time of your life. It, I, it's exactly it. And so, so we talked about dire, desired end state. Let's say, so Larry, let's say, let's say you pick up your book. Where would you recommend, if you can't answer what your optimized daily experience and desired end state is, where would you recommend somebody start if they're curious and following this idea and this train of thought? So book wise, you're going to the success chapter, which is like chapter probably three, I think. If, if we're, I, I would imagine it's three or four, which is the first pillar, uh, you know, and in that really being able to change your paradigm on what success is, is the, is the starting point on it. In there, we'll cover the concept of desired end state, a desired end state. So a shorter cut, like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to 
buy your book and read it. Fine. Like I'll give you the answer ahead of time. <laughs> I, Cause I don't care. Right. Like I, I don't care. I just want people to be affected. Right. Uh, when it comes to desired end state. So desired end state is a description from a specific perspective of the desired emotional state that we want and that we want to avoid. So if I'm going to break that down is desired end states have to be from a perspective, right? So like they're nested, like my desired end state is what I want to feel. My partner's desired end state is what they want to feel. My team's desired end state is what they want to feel. My client's desired end state is what they want to feel, right? Those are all different. Those, those things have to nest together, right? Like if I want to feel like my hair's on fire, we're going a thousand miles an hour and my clients want to feel calm, comfortable, and confident, like those don't fit together very well, right? So the first part of it is perspective. The second thing is what do I want to feel? What do I want to avoid? Right. That's the core piece of the distinction. How do we produce it? Go ahead. Why is once you why is it important to know what you want to avoid? We found that you through a bunch of experience, right? What I want to feel, say I want to feel confident. Um, what I want to avoid is is often not just the inverse of what I want to feel. Right. So like, what's the, what would be the invoice uh, inverse of confident? Um, what would, what would you say it is? Insecurity. Yeah. Insecure. Right. Well, what so came to my mind. Use, is, we can use my desire to say an example for the audience. Yeah, sure. But like for me, it would be losing Susie and the kids. Yeah. So the, like my worst case scenario would be kind of like your buddy. I'd be your buddy, but I'd be divorced and my kids would hate. Me. Yeah. I can't imagine a worse scenario. And so those are the results. So the, the, the formula for the desired end state hits, it, it goes down what I call the, the, the waterfall of obligation. So as soon as I have an obligation, that's going to, it's like a, a water going off of a waterfall. It's got to go all the way down. So an obligation means that there's a threat or an opportunity. Right. So as soon as there's something in my life that if I take care of, I get something out of it, an opportunity. If I ignore it, something bad shows up. It's an obligation. If there's something in my life that doesn't create an opportunity or a threat based on my attention, it's not an obligation. Right. So that's a first set. Obligation leads to threat or opportunity. The next piece of the waterfall is how do I know if it's a threat or an opportunity? is dependent on the effect of the threat or opportunity. So I have an obligation, I pay attention to it or I don't, something happens, what's the effect, the felt or measurable effect on me, right? So every opportunity or threat has an effect. That effect is either something I want or something I don't want. How do I know if it's something I want or don't want? So how do I tell if it's a positive or negative effect? Well, it's going to produce a feeling. Is it a feeling I want or a feeling I don't want? And ultimately, it's really a feeling that produces effective actions or a feeling that produces ineffective actions, right? So say I'm at a funeral, is I, I might not want to feel sad, but if I felt euphoric, that's not going to be very effective for those around me, right? 
Yeah. It's going to be real effective to feel sad at a funeral. So the formula is it's an emotional state leads to a specific action because there is an opportunity that produces a benefit or an effect that I want. And so that's how we build desired end states. From my perspective as, as some subject, what do I want to feel so that I can do something, have some action, because an opportunity exists that produces a benefit that I want to have? That becomes a waterfall of the waterfall of obligation. Opportunity, threat or, or obligation, opportunity or threat, effect of that, emotion it produces, action that that emotion drives. So that's the formula. That's how we build it out. And you can go through it that way. Like, what is something I have to do? What is an obligation out of my life to produce money? Okay. If I produce a whole bunch of money, what opportunity shows up? Well, the opportunity to have more time with my wife and kids. What is the effect of more time with my wife and kids? What emotion does that produce? What action does that drive me to be in? I like it. And so... So if you, I, I cannot recommend this book high, highly enough. And then I want to get into one more topic, Larry, and it's your golden rule leadership, because I just did a, a, a call with CP Select yesterday. Like, if only I had known this when I oh, was yeah. a, if I, when I was a new business owner or trying to become financially free. So why don't you tell everybody what the golden rule is? And then I will tell you how I messed it up. <laughs> Uh, yep. I'm with you on this. Like people take for granted, like people think that what I wrote in the book, I was taught at the Naval Academy and in, in officer training the SEALs. And that the fact is not at all, none of this stuff. Like I just did it wrong for 20 years and, and it's like only, you, been... but I feel like you developed these principles, but you tested them against your experience in the SEALs. You got it right. Like I, I had to perform in alignment with these principles or I wouldn't have been allowed, I wouldn't have been able to, to, to be a SEAL and to perform at that level. It wasn't until I got into business and then did it all wrong because I just took it all for granted that I actually had the opportunity to say, why, does this, why do I suck so bad now and I didn't suck before? And that's where I, I distilled these principles. So it's the same thing, like the golden rule of leadership. If someone, imagine if they would have taught this to us like sophomore year at, at West Point or the Academy, like how much better would we have led through my, our careers? Like it would have changed everything. Well, yeah, tell everybody the rule because West Point is a distinct reason why I messed up the golden rule of leadership yeah. so much. Let's get into that. So golden rule of leadership is... Do not lead the way you want to be led. Lead to the functional level of your team. And I, so I think the cognitive connect gets created with the golden rule of interpersonal, the golden rule, right? Like we think we're supposed to treat others as they want to be treated. And I, I agree with the golden rule. Yeah, treat I, others where you, you want to be treated. Yeah, it just, it does, it cannot apply to leadership. And like, I kind of want to I, that's where I want to direct the conversation. Yeah. So, so in leadership, I'll give a little bit more background on this and then you can talk about it. Let's break it down. So do not lead the way you want to be led, lead to the functional level of your team. 
we always want to be led the way we always want to lead the way we want to be led. So like you and I are high functioning people. If someone was to like micromanage us, it's going to be a bad day for them. Right. I would, I would go, I was, that's why I was such a bad cadet. I hate yep. it. Me too. <laughs> so yeah. So with you on that. Yeah. So, but our tendency is to, to say like, oh, I want to be in power. I'm going to empower all the people around me. Like, cause they don't want, I don't want to be micromanaged. So I'm not going to micromanage them. That does not work. Right. We, the functional level of the team, like, how well do they hold commitment? How big are the commitments they make and how well do they hold them? Do they function at a high level or do they function at a low level? High functioning people need to be empowered and only influenced into the right direction. Low functioning people need to be controlled through force so they don't hurt themselves and others. Right? Like that is just true. If you over empower a low functioning person, they feel fr frustration and fear. If you over control a high functioning person they feel frustration and anger both both people will not perform at a high level and i would say that high functioning individual if you try they will try to take you down or they will try to uh you know i'll just say they'll try to take you down or leave. try try to do that to people or they'll leave right if they can't yeah. leave you're going to destroy your world if if they can't if they can leave, they're out. They're like, screw this. I'll find someone that lets me do what I need to do. Low functioning people will stick around forever and fear and do nothing. Yeah. And so, so here I'll give you a little point why this was so impactful for me in, in my story. Cause I came out of the Academy being like, I hated being micromanaged. I would never treat someone like that. Yeah. I would never micromanage. And then that's not a true statement that I didn't like to be micromanaged. Like the first time I had to call in fire, and we yeah. were practicing. I was being, I was a high functioning individual being micromanaged to learn a new skill. Yeah. And so like, I love it how you in the book, in the book, you're like between console, control centric and empowerment centric. It's a dance and you're always, yeah. you know, you're always going back and forth. Cause then I, you know, I went to Ranger Regiment and I was like, Oh, I don't have to micromanage anybody. We just do what we want to. And so when I, started a new business and if you're a new business owner and then i you know i love eos i love traction but traction gets this absolutely wrong they're like yeah. you're a visionary you should be out in visionary land and then you just hire someone to do everything you don't want to do oh it's just i yeah it's, it's a good concept but it, all it does is give license to to man you know what would be managers or leaders in a company to not do their job oh i'm a visionary i don't have to do anything like, I don't I know, have to do the things I don't want to. If I'm leading a leadership book or a business book, do you know what a pet peeve of mine is? No. They bring up Steve Jobs. And then they basically say, hey, you can all be eccentric like Steve Jobs and be kind of an asshole. And if that's your vision, like, you know what I mean? So anytime Steve Jobs is, because Steve Jobs is an anomaly. Anytime he's mentioned in a business book, I'm like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> but so... What I did is I, I'm supposed to be visionary and I, I abdicated authority and power in my business. And like it, it hurt everybody. It hurt the low functioning team. It hurt clients. It hurt customers. And like, if I had only known that you, you have to measure the functionality of your team and lead to that because every time we're going to start something new, like that's part of my daily sustainable experience is to start something new 
and be in that zero to one phase because I love it. Yeah. And I we I don't think we have time in this podcast to get into leader, manager, follower, but I love playing follower at that point in the process. Yeah. And then I love going to empowered centric over time. It's uh the other one, like if I we give one more tidbit, like the 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 core concept we're saying here is lower functioning people need a bunch of control, higher functioning people just need to be empowered. We got that. Our goal is to keep it at the right level. So the right level of controller empowerment for the right level of functionality. The last thing is most people get it wrong when we're increasing it. So most people get it right, right? So I'm, my leadership culture matches my functional level. And then what I do is empower them into better performance, right? So I'm gonna take a step and empower more, never works. You have to control them into better performance, higher functional level, and then then they earn empowerment. Like we want to give it and hope they're gonna they're gonna grow into it. Nope, they got they got to be controlled into high performance, and then they earn the empowerment. They earn the freedom to then be empowered. So the tendency for business owners that you see is that they. They err too too hard to earn the power. And I mean, I know I do. It, it's they're like Jack, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Or is that yeah, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? So they over-empower, over-empower, over-empower. Their team doesn't perform. And then they dive in like Mr. Hyde and start micromanaging the shit or doing everything, right? Yeah. Like they jump hardcore into control. So the the, the which is even more confusing for team members. Yeah, it's like the cool dad who then is an asshole when the door is closed. No, oh, exactly. Yeah, that it's even more confusing. So I appreciate your time today, Larry. And I, I, I there's been one question I've been burning to ask you. Okay. And like, I, you know, I enjoy the inner service rivalry and I enjoy Army Navy and I enjoy talking shit and I enjoy the SEAL and Ranger kind of talking shit thing. But yeah. here is one thing I have to hand you guys on. You guys definitely write better books. What do you <laughs> think that is? We're smarter, hands down. No, come on. You guys are definitely superior writers. I have to give the SEAL community that. I have this, I would, I, I mean, I would think overall, like what uh, one of the differences, and I'm not being a smart, I'm not being a jerk here, a smart ass here. Yeah. Uh, I think if you just did do, did average IQ, like objective tests, it's higher IQ. I because there that's one of the things that has was has always impressed me. Like the average intelligence of a SEAL's mat like above board. Like I there's guys, there's so many guys that work but for how me that they was, screen for that in buds. So I don't I, know. I, it's, a, it's a it's a un um it's an it's a unreal or what like unplanned benefit like they're not trying to i just think it shows up that way i think a big piece to it is the the sideways thinking that is necessary especially in buds like from and i i didn't go through ranger ranger training right so i didn't go through that but i've had friends that did and and i've known a bunch of rangers have done it it's it's much more marine core like like much more of like go get it done and 
grind your way through. Buds is the is very much the opposite. Like all they do is create problems that you can't solve. And it takes a certain level of intelligence to one, constantly be trying to fix it and two, being okay with seeing under the curtain. And so I think it's a, I think it's a nature, you know, there is, and I'm not saying this like from my level, I'm saying the guys that work for, I mean, I had guys that made me look like an idiot and I'm a pretty smart guy. And that was at least at least like three, I could think of every platoon. There's three or four guys that would make me look like a drooling idiot. And so I think that's it. Like it just, the level of intelligence is very, very high. I mean, yeah. Cause like your book, everybody loves Jocko's book. And then yep. Dan Crenshaw's book. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely phenomenal. So I, I'm happy for you that you're now in the seal writing community. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, what I'm excited is, I don't think I have any stories in there, which is like, I didn't want to write a seal book about stories or my, my, my path or bug no, stuff. Dude, your pirate story is a cool story. Yeah, I guess there's one. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Being a pirate for the, for the U S government was fun. Yeah. And that was a cool story. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, Larry, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate everything your team and you have done for my team. And then, um, if anybody's interested in working with SEAL team leaders, how should they uh, contact you guys or find out about you guys? Uh, if you go to uh, the easiest, most direct is go to the book page. So how leadership actually works.com. It's just the title of the book. There's a webpage with it on there. Somewhere on there, there's a connect with our team button and you can, awesome. you can hit that. Yeah. Man, I recommend you guys all my friends, as you know, so I can't recommend, I can't recommend this book highly. If you guys want to work with Larry's team, you got to check them out. So thank you, Larry. Thank you so much for listening to the Rise Up Live Free podcast. Do you want to connect with me and other empire builders who are on a mission to take control of their financial plans and become financially free in 10 years or less? Well, then join us in our private Facebook group where we get to go deeper into the topics of financial freedom. And it's the only place you can see the actual results of people on their path to financial freedom, learn what's working and interact as a community dedicated to becoming financially free. When you join, you'll get immediate access to exclusive training in a private membership area. This training will empower you in your path to becoming financially free and it will fast track your results. This is the only place you get access to this exclusive content. So be sure to join us in the Facebook group now. Just go to cashflowtactics.com forward slash group or head over to Facebook and search Cashflow Tactics to join. I look forward to you joining us next time on the Rise Up Live Free podcast.